0: Welcome to Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Interests. If uh, you can tell from the uh, title of the episode, it's not a uh, heavy heart—but uh, Mike Gordon, who's passed away, was uh, a promoter of the National, a very, uh, very active and uh, uh, dealer on the East Coast in the New Jersey area. Uh, passed away, and uh, Rich—I uh, know you knew him better than I did. Right. Uh, what? What? Uh, I mean, the guy had a lot of knowledge. He had a lot of cards. He was well-organized. Uh, but he wasn't in good health those last few years. Well, yeah, we won't talk
1: as much about the last few years. I didn't see him very often. After... Well, he had trouble breathing. He
0: had trouble... Yeah, he had, He was a little too heavy. Well, he yeah. was more than a little too heavy, and that's not uh, everybody in the industry. But there's... And it, it can be a sedentary uh, uh, hobby. And you, you can be sitting around, and you, and you can be on the road at the shows and eating... Uh, less than optimally so uh, but he was uh uh, i think he had a crusty exterior but he was uh, deep down a really really kind of good guy he really was and he could be impatient at times but it was over things where maybe a normal person would be impatient
1: yeah i I mean he he was like everybody else like 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 the rest of us had a lot of good points and some points that you would want to say not so much but it was obvious how much he and his son Howie enjoyed the hobby do you know anybody from new jersey that's not opinionated uh, no, I'm okay, just wondering. No, so I no, we're all I like opinion- a statement,
0: but I mean that's, that's just all, the way it is. We're that's, all opinionated. in New York, New Jersey, perhaps in, in, in the water.
1: <laughs> I think it's because if you live like where we lived, which I live like 45 minutes from me, but it's yeah. still a suburb of New York City. And New York City is such an aggressive place right. that if you don't stand up, you don't have your opinions. You'll get trampled in a lot of ways. So you almost have to be opinionated to survive in the New York area, and you have to be a little of that to survive as a dealer or a collector. And when you, you know, Mike was, as you said, very well organized. Everything was priced exactly what we talked about earlier, that you went to his table. You knew what you were paying for what you got, and he tried to base price on condition, you know. And he had, you know, before he sold it, he was... uh he wasn't a big one for grading, I don't think.
0: No, but he, I think he didn't grade hardly at all.
1: He didn't grade hardly at all, but you know, he would compare cards as he bought them if he thought but they he predated. Would, grade. But he predated grading, yeah, yeah. but he'd also see what update what would upgrade his collection. Yeah. He had some beautiful cards back in the yeah. day. I used to drive with him to Albany because my house was on actually on his way to Albany, and he had this big old car so he could fit my stuff in the car I with me, yeah. and it was about ten minutes out of his way. So "I'll get you." And so we'd load the car. Yeah. We'd drive up and back the same day. I'd always be exhausted and fall asleep about 8 o'clock that night. But wow. it was really a cool thing. And, it, it, you know, they, we could fit my stuff in the backseat of his car <laughs> and me. And so I got to spend many hours in the car with him and Howie. We'd talk about things. Yeah. I remember one time we'd get up to Albany and we hear this wonderful world. It's three degrees outside with a windchill of 30 below. It's like Albany in the wintertime. It's not exactly the world's warmest place. In case you wondered why I never moved back to New Jersey, 30 below windchills will usually do that to you every time.
0: I always felt that Mike was really pretty smart. He was very smart. Because uh, I know how he's smart, his son, and he just, again, he didn't wear that on his sleeve or anything, but you could tell he was a, he was a bright guy. You
1: know. and Yeah. And one of my favorite Mike Gordon stories has nothing to do with baseball cards. And in some ways, it's kind of sad. It kind of predates why he had the weight problem he had. But he was going to be drafted, or he was eligible to be drafted, and he was close to the borderline on weight. Oh. So every day, he would go to a place called Jan's, which was about, which happened to be about five minutes from where I grew up. And it was an ice cream parlor. And every day, he'd order a banana split. Oh, Rich,
0: I, and, I know you're not making this up, because and your stories be- are legit, but kids... Even adults do not just what you're about to hear. Just don't don't
1: do, do it. But he put on enough weight eating the banana split every day, where he avoided military service.
0: That hurts, and, and that's I, I actually. Did not do that. I actually wound up serving in the army That's <laughs> another story, but I didn't know I had an ice cream a banana but split you, option. But probably you probably weren't close to the I knew, weight. I you probably would, weren't close to the weight borderline. I needed either. some uh, some lead time.
1: I, I want to hear about the I never heard knew you were in the army. I want to hear about that story sometime. Lieutenant Beckett, yeah. Okay, well we'll have to talk about that in a future episode. Yeah. Uh, but Mike, but that caused his weight problem. So it's you know Wow. So that's because he never was able to shake the weight he added from mm-hmm. that.
0: So, yeah, you know, I I told you some of my favorite shows were in the New York, uh, you know, in that area. And he was a mainstay. And what Mike did, and I was part of the crew,
1: is Mike would get a group of tables at a Gloria Rostein show. yeah, And Gloria would probably discount him, let's say it was 20 tables. And then he'd charge us whatever he charged us. And his money, you know, basically his two tables or three tables would then become free, free, which is perfectly fine. If you want to lay out that much money and then take the risk of not everybody showing up. Hey, that's that's something worth doing. But that was a to me that was a great business model. Did, did, I, I always thought that he was a careful business guy. He was, Is that he was, true. Yes and yes and no. He was careful, but every once in a while, he would be uncareful. And mm. that's probably not a word. But in 1989, he ordered 350 cases of 89 Fleer factory sets. Oh, because that was the only way you could get a lot of Fleers in 89. Yeah, he ended up the next year actually doing well because Griffey exploded. He actually doubled his money mm. one year later. But he, what I would have done, especially with all the stores that were extant in New Jersey oh at the time, goodness. I would have just said, "Okay, I'm paying thirteen fifty each, sixteen to you, mm-hmm. until I get money for free." You know, he was less of a wholesaler of those. So you think he was? He held on. He, as I said, he got lucky on those that Griffey yeah. exploded the next year, and he could get twenty five wholesale. But if
0: Griffey didn't, he wouldn't have had. Yeah. Well, you got to take a risk sometimes, and it takes money to make money sometimes. But again, in some of the years, this. Industry, it just it seemed like whatever you bought would uh, would would be immediately saleable at a at a profit, and other sets not so much. But well, and there were
1: interesting sometimes weird things like eighty five dollars highlights exploded, so everybody thought eighty six dollars and Mike had nothing. Mike did not invest in those, but eighty six dollars highlights would explode. Oh, they exploded in the wrong direction. Well,
0: but was not he more of a vintage dealer at the show? He was a vintage dealer at the shows. So what what was this? This, this was, was when he had a store. Okay,
1: you have a store. You need you you need the new sets in the store. Right
0: especially in the 80s in the 90s, you need and 90s. And you were saying that as he was getting in bad health, and this may apply to some other, other people, but as his health was declining, he uh, tried to divest yes. of some of his stock because he, he wasn't able to go to the, uh, the shows anymore. And so... That's a kind thing to do to your heirs to not dump a ton of cards on them, literally multiple tons, perhaps, right. but to divest in an orderly fashion. Well, How he wanted to so, stay in the business, at least how he would have known. But, what to But do. but how he would would not be encumbered with the huge volume. Right. How he might, how he smart young man himself. How you know, he's a successful lawyer. He, what, he, what he wants uh, he he wants some of
1: it, perhaps not all of it though. Right, but they through a mutual friend he put he put yeah. his cards into a, one of the larger auction houses. Yeah. And, you know, basically was able to sell his collection for very good money. And oh, good. we were talking about this when recently somebody pointed out, why is Bob Gibson, who's now 83, 84 years old, selling his personal memorabilia? And Gibson's response was something to the effect of this, I have X number of grandchildren. I take in this much money. Oh, yeah. I'll split it between the grandchildren. They can pay for college. They can do what they want. And they don't have to deal with what are we going to do with dad stuff. or grand- well,
0: Especially, uh, in- he's a terminal illness, right? That's Lou Brock that's actually very sick. But Gibson just had something. Gibson here. had something, but Brock's is more serious. Okay, but at any rate, the whole point is, when somebody passes away, there's just this chaotic period afterwards. If you're the heirs or the executor, the last thing you want to worry about is some of these things that have that have a value that's not fully perceived by everybody. I mean, in sports collectibles. Somebody might think there's the trash and treasure thing. You know, his trophies are not trash, but even then, knowing what where to where to place that. To okay. get to get fair values, and I think that's one of the smartest things people. I like can that. I like that. And I actually, and not it. even for just famous people, for for anybody, and it, not even just for sports collectibles. If you're if you're declining, and you know, if it, Bob Gibson, I think is eighty four. He's 83, 84, so, Yeah. So I mean, basically, he's in a situation where, you know, it's how many? Not just how many more years do I have left, but how many quality years yeah. do I have left? And and to begin that orderly process, that's good. So Mike Gordon did that again. Like I said, I, I think he made a lot more right decisions than wrong. Yes. The ice cream thing, notwithstanding, but uh but he was a mainstay at the shows and was. Uh, I remember he sold a lot of our magazines. He was one of our biggest. He was one of the bigger, biggest sellers, and he sold
1: the magazines. It's not like he was distributing right. them to other dealers. I remember there was some show trip. I had to bring two hundred baseballs for him to sell. Yeah, and we had to. I had to figure out how to get the two hundred
0: yeah. done, and we figured it out. And yeah, so he was. He sold, in fact, especially in those early days. I mean, there were there were dealers out there. That didn't want the magazine to be out there because it would, uh, you know, hinder their sales. They thought. I think that's wrong, but, but so not everybody carried it. Mike faithfully carried it. and He'd have a big stack. Yeah,
1: and as I said, and he'd sell most of them, and he yeah. he had a price point that he could discount them to. Right, right. Because he was
0: getting enough where he was still making right. a good profit. Yeah, we had quantity pricing, yeah, but he was able to take advantage of it. Again, like I said, it seemed like he he it's like he did the math. It's like he was had a little bit of an accounting background or something to where he was. Uh, savvy about those things, but and, and on a happier story, Howie's
1: favorite player growing up with Dave Kingman, oh. because one of the first games they went to, his father and son, Dave Kingman hit three homers.
0: All right, and struck out, and the, struck out, uh, probably struck times. out the other three times. Yes, <laughs> but
1: could you imagine if somebody like Pete Rose had hit three homers in that game instead of Dave Kingman? <laughs> Your personal collection wouldn't have been Dave Kingman; It would be vast. Yeah. It would be Pete Rose. It, it, or, you know, something like still that. still be going. Yeah, but, well, uh, you know, Kingman still shows up in some sets nowadays. Yeah, so.
0: no, I saw it. That was, uh, yeah, you know, it's. He, he he's he, Dave Kingman is the modern day player. He is he's yeah, a, feast he, of famine. It's he's one a, of the first uh, hit it first out Sir, go sit down. Three
1: true outcome players, yeah, yeah, what they call yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Some some of them some of <laughs> the people call it two true outcomes, but it's two or three. Actually, teams. you don't
0: even need to have a shift. You can just kind of sit down. Yeah. He's either strikeout. He's either like right?
1: strikeout homer or yeah. Oh, or I don't a pop-up. think he walked that much. He, and he not, an uppercut? He had yeah, big time yeah, uppercut. I think. Yeah. yeah. Nowadays they call that launch angle. You know you know when and I told the story of our mutual friend. Uh, Paul Rogers, oh, yeah. who loves the 50 Phillies. Wiz Kids. Yeah. Wiz Kids. And he wrote a, a, another book on them recently. Yeah. And he talks about Jim Constanti. And Jim Constanti's pitching advisor was an Undertaker who was a bowler. And whenever Constanti would get off, the Undertaker would look and say, You're not spinning the curveball enough. Hmm. They knew about spin rate in 1950, <laughs> they just didn't call it spin rate. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That is you know, amazing. Well, Jim, thank you for the opportunity yeah, to share some we, stories we, about Mike.
0: We miss Mike uh, Gordon again. He was uh, larger than life in in every respect, in, in a good way. And uh, you know, we're sad for uh, losing him. And I know the uh, family is sad about that too. Again, he was not only a a, a, a a national dealer, but actually was one of the promoters of the of the eighty four national
1: and probably the key promoter actually of the eighty four yeah, national.
0: Well, uh, he was a solid guy. So we miss him uh, again. Thanks, Rich, for your time. Thanks, thanks Jim. listeners. Oh guess who forgot to talk about the sponsors? Jim Peckett. <laughs> let's <laughs> yeah. mention them. Let's not make that mistake. Uh, let's do it in reverse order. Upper Deck, uh, we love you. <laughs> Tops, we love you. <laughs> Panini, we love you. Uh, Heritage Auctions. We love Bucketson buying Scott you. Auctions. <laughs> Yeah, I've done that recently. Uh, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Com C, which Rich does not let us forget. But uh, I work there, yes. And I enjoy using their service. And Beckett Media, where or actually, we met before yes.
1: those days. But, I, I call it the apocryphal meeting on yeah. the softball field of Persephone, New Jersey.
0: Which I think it was five years before, but that's okay. I We're like right. my We're apocryphal meeting story. Fair enough. Okay. Well, thanks, Rich. And thanks, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll be back, um, in, uh, in another day or two with another episode. Thanks.